Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. If we go back to our text in Ephesians 2, it says, uh, verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, God hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And the opportunity, I mean, if there's anybody here today that's still in that state of being dead in trespasses and sins, the, the way to get out of that is to receive life from God. You can't raise yourself from the dead. You can't give yourself spiritual life. But Christ has done some things. He died on that cross. He paid the price. He paid everything that God's justice requires. Right? Our sin means that we owe something. Just like, just like if you've committed a crime and you're brought into the courtroom and you're found guilty, there's going to be a sentence. There's going to be a punishment. And our sin requires punishment. But somebody already paid that punishment in our place. And we can have eternal life as a free gift. There's nothing left for me to pay. I simply receive of the gift that God offers. And and if you've never received that gift this morning, understand that it's available to you. It's simply a matter. There's There's no long list of things that you need to do in order to receive that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. A gift is something somebody else purchases and they give to you. And eternal life, the Bible says, is a free gift. And you just receive it like you would any other gift. You just, you just I mean, it's not a, obviously it's not a physical thing that you can take into your, your physical possession. But you just believe. You believe the giver. You believe that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again. Uh, certainly that resurrection plays a part in the, in the whole thing as well. We're talking more about the death of Christ this morning. But you just you receive that gift. You simply make that choice to believe what God says about Christ and what what he accomplished. It's not a a matter of believing in a historical fact. The death and resurrection of Christ are a historical fact. You can establish them to the same degree of certainty that you can other other historical historical events. It's not believing in it as, as a historical fact, but it's a believing what God's word says about what his death, burial, and resurrection accomplished. That he died for your sins. That he was buried. That he rose again with, with victory over death in the grave. And to believe that, when someone believes that, there's a change that takes place. You see, there's, a, there's eternal life that is, that is conferred on that individual. And that, that spiritual deadness, that spiritual corpse is brought to life. And now there's some life in Christ. And, and uh, Ephesians 2 describes that. It says, again, verse 5, Even when we were dead in sins, God hath quickened us. He's made us alive. That word quickened means to make alive. He's quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And it says he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've believed that gospel, if you've received that life, you, you notice there it says he hath raised us up. Now we have hope that he will raise us up, 
right? And then we'll be, we'll be given new bodies uh, in which we'll spend eternity in the heavenly places in Christ. We have hope that he will raise us up, but that's not what this is talking about. It says he hath raised us up. That's past tense. It's already taken place. We've already been raised up. He has raised us up, and he's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. To, to, obviously, we're not physically in heavenly places. We're, we're sitting here in Friendship, Wisconsin, in the United States, on planet Earth. We're not in heavenly places. But he's given us a position in heavenly places. Often when the Bible talks about a seat, it's talking about a position, often a position of authority or a, you know, a, a, a play, a, a, yeah, really just a position that somebody holds. Uh, when Christ said that the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, he wasn't saying they sit in a chair that Moses sat in. He was saying they're in the same position as Moses with regard to teaching the law and, and you know, instructing Israel uh, with regard to those things. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about sitting here in heavenly places. The, the believer in Christ has been given life. They've been, they've been spiritually raised from the dead and are already seated. They already have a seat in heavenly places in Christ. And, and uh, verse 7, it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And when you're reading your Bible and you see the word that, uh, the word that is, is often used to, to tell you the purpose of something. Okay? So verse 6 says that he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, why did he do that? Verse 7 says he did that so that in the ages to come, out there in eternity future, he can show the exceeding riches of his grace. That It said he was, he was rich in mercy and he's rich. he has the riches of his grace. God's going to spend eternity showing the riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, now again, that's not something he could do if he was only saving righteous people. Because how would you show the riches of your grace if everybody who's there for eternity deserves to be there? That wouldn't be the riches of grace, would it? You'd just be showing, you know, you gave people what they deserved. But by saving ungodly sinners like us, what God does is he can spend all eternity demonstrating the, just how rich his grace is by all of these terrible people that he saved and gave life to and that have eternal life in heaven. See? It, it, sometimes it's hard to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes it's hard for believers to be honest with themselves about who they are by nature. Now, we understand when you become a believer in Christ, you receive a new nature. You receive a new nature that is perfect, that's holy, but that old nature is just as, just as terrible as it ever was. It's just as rotten as it ever was. And um, God, again, we see here how he takes, uh, he takes us out of that state of being dead in trespasses and sins, and he gives us life. And for all eternity, he'll be de- demonstrating the riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You see in verses 8 and 9, uh, uh, verses that are often memorized, often used in sharing the gospel. And, and in reality, here in the context, Paul isn't, he's not, 
he's not sharing the gospel here in this passage. He's talking to believers, and he's reminding them about their salvation. And you see what he says? He says, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If we could be saved by our works, we could, we could have a lot to boast about. Um, you know, if there were somebody out there who could be righteous enough to earn eternal life, man, that person would have a lot to boast about. But you see, it says that it's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. I want you to think about a, think about a question. Um, if you were to complete the sentence, okay, so just, just think in your mind, if you were to complete the sentence, I know I'm saved because, all right? I know I'm saved because, and just think in your mind, how would you complete that sentence? Okay, now complete that sentence without using the word I. Can, can you do it? Can you do it? Because a lot of times we think, I know I'm saved because I believe the gospel. Or, right, we put it, we put it in those kinds of terms. And, again, that's, you know, I, I think often if somebody answers it that way, uh, it's probably a saved person. But... Really, when you read a passage like this, you see how it takes all the focus off of I? I'm not saved because I believe the God. That wasn't the cause of my salvation. The cause of my salvation was what Christ accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the cause of my salvation was what it describes here, that that, uh, God quickened me. See? Um, Me believing the gospel... Now, that's required to be saved. But me believing the gospel isn't the cause of my salvation any more than, than you know, when you, when you water your garden, is the hose the source of the water? The hose isn't the source of the water. The hose gets the water where it needs to go for it to be effective. And that's what your faith plays in it as well. Um, the, the, your eternal life was purchased 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Your faith is just what allows that to be applied to you. And see, it's not the cause. Your faith isn't the cause of your salvation. Your faith isn't really worth anything on its own. Um, some people put their faith in their faith, right? And they think, I'm saved as long as I believe hard enough. As long as I believe enough, I'm saved. But isn't that just, isn't that just really making faith into a work that I do again? Right? Now, understand, I mean, faith is something you do. You have, to, you have to choose to believe something, but realize where, where the cause of the salvation is. I know I'm saved because Christ died for my sins and was buried and rose again the third day. Not because of me, but because of him. All right? Now, the... And in verse 10, we better not leave off verse 10, because it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Um, understand that good works are, are an important part of the Christian life, but good works don't save you. Good works are the result of salvation, not the cause of salvation. See, when you, when you believe the gospel... And you're taken out of that state of being dead in trespasses and sins, and, and you're made alive in Christ, that has some effect in your life. 
Maybe you stop doing some things you used to do. Maybe you start doing some things you never thought you would have done before. I mean, what do you suppose would happen uh, if you were at the, the, the funeral home for a wake and all of a sudden that dead body was given life? Do you think some things would change for that dead body? Do you think it wouldn't keep acting like a dead body? Do you, do you suppose it would stay there laying in that coffin? Or do you think it would probably get up and do some things that living people do? Right? And the same thing happens spiritually when you're given life from God and you're no longer dead in trespasses and sins and now you have life, you're going to stop doing things dead people do and start doing some things that living people do. There's some changes that take place. And, and that's not to say it's an automatic thing that, that just, you know, you still have that old nature and the old nature and that new nature struggle with one another and, and the Holy Spirit that, that comes to dwell in the believer struggles with the flesh and, and just those, those habits and things that the flesh has, has built up. But there's a change that takes place. Um, I, uh, this this uh, past week or a couple weeks ago, I, I watched Any of you ever watched the TV show Duck Dynasty? Um, you know, that, that family, you notice how there's, you don't hear any, cursing on that show or anything like that. Um, Phil, I was watching a video where, where Phil Robertson, the, the, uh, the father, was giving his testimony, and he was telling about how um, he was, when he was 28 years old, you know, he, he looks like, I mean, if you saw him on the street, you'd think he was a homeless guy or something. You know that he was a star college quarterback? Do you know Terry Bradshaw was second string to Phil Robertson? Okay, and he quit his, he gave up his last year of college eligibility. He could have gone on to the NFL. His coaches told him that. He was, people were trying to, trying to recruit him. He could have gone on to the NFL. He gave up his last year of college uh, um, eligibility because he wanted to hunt ducks, <laughs> you know. Um, but but uh, he, when he was 28 years old, he tells about how he was working in a bar and a guy came into the bar with a Bible. And uh, he said that he, you know, this guy was trying to, trying to start a conversation with him. Um, his sister had brought the guy to the bar to talk to him. And while the guy was in there talking to him, uh, his sister was out in front handing out gospel tracts. And uh, he, he said, you know, he... he had to, you know, people at the bar were upset and everything, and he kind of took care of the situation. But he said he went back and he talked to that guy later, and he was telling him about how Christ died for his sins. And the way Phil Robertson said it, he said, uh, I, think, I think I can quote him exactly, he said, I figured that was a mighty kind thing to do for a scumbag like me. You know? And um, that's, that, and he, he, according to his testimony, believed the gospel. Now, they, believe, they belong to a denomination that, that has some serious doctrinal errors, okay? And, I, and I, I pray to God that those men truly are saved, okay? I, from from uh, Phil's testimony there, it seems to be that he is. He gave a pretty clear testimony there, although, like I say, the denomination they belong to um, teaches some, some uh, erroneous things. But um, he, he talked as well about how, how uh, it took the blood of Christ to 
take away the effects of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that he was involved in. Okay, and um, and and I also I was also watching an interview with with Jace Roberts, and he was saying so he was about five years old when his dad got saved, and and he said really before that he said their family life was was terrible. Uh, he said it was really their mom that kind of held everything together, and he said that that changed everything. You know, when you look at that that family that they have. Um, that's a result of some things that they believe, and that's a result of of some you know some truths from the Word of God working there. And and Jace was telling that when they first started doing the TV show, he said he heard one of the cameramen say to the other cameraman, he said, "This is going to tear this family apart because that's what these reality shows do, right? I mean, they just destroy people." And Jace said he heard that and he thought, "They don't know this family." You see, it says we're his workmanship. He's created us unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And, and those first ten, ten verses of Ephesians 2 uh, are talking about the change that takes place in the individual. It's talking about um, being taken from death unto life. Now, uh, after uh, the first ten verses describe the effect of the cross on the individual, then the next, the next uh, ten verses or so describe the, uh, a change that has taken place really in God's overall dealing with man. And so verse 11 says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Um, now, sometimes when people read those verses, they kind, of, they kind of confuse it with the things that are described in the first half of the chapter. Because certainly, you know, as an unbeliever, we were far off. And as believers, we've been made nigh, right? Um, that's true. But this is really talking about, it's really talking about something else. And it's talking about a, a, a dispensational change that has taken place, okay? So, so verse 11 says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Now, in the first half of the chapter, he, he was talking about how they used to walk in their individual past, right? So, so you see, like, uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. That's talking about the time past in your individual life, right? There we'll be talking about before you got saved. But, but here in verse 11, it, it's, it says, wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Here he's talking about a, 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 a broad, he's not just talking about, you know, somebody's individual uh, salvation and the change that took place at salvation. Uh, here he's talking about a change that's taken place really with all of God's dealings with man. So, so he tells him, remember that in time past, as he's writing to the Ephesians, this is a primarily a Gentile church. Okay. Now you know that, that, um, Christ was a, a Jew, and all of his disciples were Jews. Um, 
the, when you're in Acts chapter 2, for instance, on the day of Pentecost, that's all Jews, that's all Israelites uh, that became believers there. Um, there. There may have been some, at, at Pentecost, there were some Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, but, but they're all, it's all Jews there, right? And as you get farther into the book of Acts, you see a shift that takes place away from the nation of Israel and toward the Gentiles, but in, in the early parts of the book of Acts, it's all Israel that's being dealt with still, just like it was in the four Gospels, just like it was in uh, most of the Old Testament. It was Israel that God was dealing with. But you see a shift to, to the Gentiles. Uh, here, when Paul's writing to this church at Ephesus, so this is a, a local church at a city in Asia, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, and this is primarily Gentiles. Now, there may have been some Jewish Christians, you know, people who were were, uh, ethnic Jews who were believers in Christ. There may have been some there at Ephesus, but it was primarily a Gentile church, okay? And so um, he says, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Um, and, And he says they're called uncircumcision by that which is called in the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands. He says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, when he's talking about individuals, right, the individual before they were saved, they were without Christ because they didn't believe the gospel and because by nature they were the children of wrath. But here he says there was a time when the Gentiles, non-Jews, non-Israelites, were without Christ not because they were unbelievers, but because they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They weren't a part of Israel. Okay, so you see he's not talking here about just, you know, an individual Gentile. But, but he's saying, you, you know, you Gentiles as a group, there was a time where you were separated from God because you weren't a part of Israel. Okay, and what he's, what he's referring to is the fact that God had put a difference back in the Old Testament... He had put a difference between Jew and Gentile. And he had taken the people of Israel. He said, these are my chosen people. This is my nation that I'm going to deal with. All of the prophets in the Old Testament are from Israel. Um, All of the, like I say, all of the the, uh, four Gospels in the New Testament are written by Israelites. In fact, really, every book of the Bible is written by an Israelite. Every book of the Bible is written by a Jew. And in in Romans, it says that unto them were committed the oracles of God. That nation of Israel wrote the Bible. Okay, they were the ones that were committed with those things. And God set a difference between Jew and Gentile. And um, the the Gentiles, when you're back there in the Old Testament, realize that salvation for a Gentile was different than what it is today. Because today, when we talk about God... We don't view God as being the God of Israel. We view God as being the God of everything. But in the Old Testament, he's always the God of Israel. It, it, you know, to refer to God in the Old Testament as like the, you know, the God of the Gentiles wouldn't make any sense because he wasn't the God of the Gentiles. He was the Lord God of Israel. It's not until you get into the book of Romans that he says, is he not the God of the Gentiles also? So there was a, there was a difference there. And you see that in this passage. So where in the first half of Ephesians 2, Paul was reminding these believers at Ephesus about what their position was before they were saved. 
Now here in the, in the last half of the chapter, he's going to remind them about what their position was as Gentiles before there was a change that took place. But my prayer this morning is that if you don't know that life that is in Christ, make that decision today to trust, to trust that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again, uh, and, and to believe what the Bible says about what that accomplished, to believe that that was enough, what Christ did was enough, and that there's no works for you to add to it. If you believe there's any work that you can add to Christ's work, first of all, it minimizes Christ's work because it says what he did wasn't enough, but I can complete what he didn't complete, right? That would be a pretty arrogant thing, wouldn't it? To say what Christ did wasn't enough, so I've got to help him out. I've got to do a little bit more. No, the Bible teaches what Christ did was enough. It was a completed work there at Calvary, and, and his res- resurrection just sealed the deal. His resurrection proved who he said he was. His resurrection uh, conquered death, and his resurrection allows God to, to not just deal with the sin of, of believers, but then to impart life to them. Right? And when you put your faith in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, some things change in your life. Um, and when you put your faith there, you receive a free gift of eternal life. You may not feel, you may not feel any different. You may not get goosebumps or, or something like that. Uh, you, may not, you may not suddenly have an urge to you know, jump up and praise God when you get saved. But the Bible says if you believe that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again, that you have eternal life. And you have that life that it describes here. And, and then it's a matter of digging into God's word and finding out what all that life entails. Um, and, and, you know, finding out uh, what are the kinds of things that this working of God in my life ought to bring about. Now, if you've believed that, if you've believed that gospel, and, and maybe, maybe you feel like you're not experiencing that life on a day-to-day basis, today would be a good day to, to recommit yourself to getting into the word of God, to, um, again, allowing, you know, allowing the power of that word to work along with the Holy Spirit that dwells in believers to start changing your life. Maybe it means you have to get rid of some things. Maybe it means you have to change some things, stop some activities that are going on in your life, right? Maybe it means you need to start doing some things that you know you ought to do, but you haven't been doing. But realize even those things, if you do it in the flesh, it's, of no, it's really of no use and it's just bound for failure. Um, it's, it's to allow the, the word to effectually work in you that believe. And, you know, if, if uh, you are one of those who not only have this life, but you're, you're experiencing that life on a day-to-day basis... Find somebody else that you can encourage and build up and, and help them to grow in their grace. Don't, don't be selfish with your faith and just, and just have it be something that you, know, you have and, and know and are glad about. Uh, go, and, go and build up somebody else and help that be, a, be a, uh, a help to them as well. And that's where we're going to close. And let's just close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these things from your word. Thank you for the, the life that you impart when we believe the gospel. I pray for any that are here, uh, certainly that they wouldn't put off that decision. None of us are guaranteed another minute on this earth. And, and uh, I pray that none would have the, the mindset that that's something I can, I can take care of later. 
that they would make a decision today. And, of course, the reality is that anytime anybody hears the gospel, they make a decision one way or the other. Uh, a, decision, a decision to put off is simply a decision not to believe. And, and Heavenly Father, I pray for any that are here that have not believed the gospel, that they would make that decision today to trust what your son did for them, to realize the futility of our flesh and of our, of our works, and uh, to, to simply recognize the finished work of your son at Calvary. And uh, we pray that, that uh, you would help all of us to, to uh, see the opportunities that we have to encourage others, to help them to grow in faith, and, and that at the center of all of that would be your word, the revelation that you have given to us of yourself, uh, the place where we find a, an absolute authority and we find your truth. And we just thank you for all these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who shed his blood to pay what we owed for our sin. And we thank you in his name. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.